Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 164 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today we are going to be talking to Dr. Ryan Lowry, who is essentially just a total badass in the area of research and the ketogenic diet. He's been doing the keto thing professionally since I have, all the way back to the year 2009. And I met Dr. Ryan Lowry, I believe, at the first KetoCon. And um, as I'll share in this episode, and as you'll discover within our conversation, he is just one of the nicest guys on the planet. And, you know, just Superhuman is, is the best way to say it as far as like connected, authentic, uh, genuine, and he has a lot to share. Um, so Becky, let's go into his bio because I know there's so much packed into this episode and then we'll, we'll hit the ground running. All right, here we go. So Dr. Ryan P. Lowry, PhD, is a 2014 national champion baseball player. He earned his BS and MS in exercise physiology and exercise and nutrition science from the University of Tampa. Ryan completed his doctorate work at Concordia University in health and human performance with a focus on the effects of a well-formulated ketogenic diet and exogenous ketone supplementation on various markers of health and body composition in healthy and diseased populations. Ryan currently serves as the CEO of Ketogenic.com and the president of the Applied Science and Performance Institute. Over his career, Ryan has published over 150 papers, abstracts, and book chapters on human performance and sports nutrition and is heavily focused on the impact of ketogenic diets and exogenous ketones on performance, cognitive function, and longevity. Ryan has received the Exercise Science Scholar of the Year Award, NSCA Award for Outstanding Presentation of the Year Award and the National AAHPERD Exercise Science Major of the Year Award. Ryan co-authored the book, The Ketogenic Bible, alongside his partner, Dr. Jacob Wilson, which focuses on the science and practical application behind the ketogenic diet, exogenous ketones, and all of their potential applications. Yes. And we talk about that book in today's episode a little bit, and we will be doing a giveaway. So stay tuned, guys. Uh, we'll be posting that probably the week that this airs. And I also want to announce when this airs, go on over to ketogenic.com. And that is where you can actually vote for the Naturally Nourished podcast. We've been nominated as one of the top five keto podcasts out there, and you can vote every day up until November 30th, I believe it is, or the end of the month. And um, we would appreciate your vote. If you guys like what you're listening to, we'd love to be named the top keto podcast. I mean, I'll take it. Yes. I'll put the link right in the show notes so you guys can find that easily. And please go over and show us some love. I've already texted the link to like all my friends and family 
and told them to set a reminder to vote every single day. So please do the same. Awesome. And before we bring Dr. Lowry on, a real quick word from today's opening sponsor, Harper and Soul Provisions. So Harper and Soul Provisions make fat-fueled, nutrient-rich, savory, and lightly sweetened granolas, or really nut nolas, because all of the products are non-GMO, always free of gluten, grains, dairy, soy, corn, or any highly processed industrialized oils or refined sugars. So all of their flavors that are out there fit the constructs of the anti-anxiety diet. Super cool. They even add therapeutic ingredients like turmeric and ginger, and they use egg white to bind flavor, which is also going to add a little bit of protein to boot. Right now, they have four flavors out there, cardamom coconut, which includes even like cumin as a therapeutic boost of glutathione, uh, rosemary maple, ginger snap, and turmeric black pepper. They go great with your breakfast bowls, your coconut yogurt on top of a salad, or even used as a base of a low-carb quiche or a holiday pie crust. So go on over to harperandsoulprovisions.com. Use the code Allie15 and you will get 15% off your order of two bags or larger. Again, that's harperandsoulprovisions.com. Use the code Allie15. Pick up two bags or more and you get to enjoy a salty, savory crunch that has an anti-inflammatory boost and keeps your blood sugars stable. So, so yummy. So without further ado, let's bring on our guest for today's episode, Dr. Ryan Lowry. Welcome to the podcast, Ryan. We're super stoked to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Yes. So, you know, of course we did the formal bio thing and we talked about, um, you know, how we've met at KetoCon and what have you, but let's give listeners that don't know about you, which that means they're living under a rock, but if they don't know about (laughs) you, (laughs) let's tell them about your background. And I'm curious of just kind of how you got interested in studying ketogenic diets and between research and keto, what came first? Like what was the chicken and egg in your, your expansion of nutrition research? Yeah. So it really, for me, uh, it really started back when I was in middle school. Um, I remember I was actively involved in sports and I was always trying to put on size. Like I never, like they were always like, Hey, eat peanut butter and banana sandwiches. Like we need you to have that like with every single meal. And I was, cause I was always like a skinnier type of kid. And they were like, we need you to put on some type of muscle in order to play football and baseball. And, um, and so I was always interested in nutrition and obesity ran in my family. So I was always kind of like, that was always lingering on the back of my mind. And when I was in middle school, uh, I remember I was at a football game and I got a, after the football game, we immediately got rushed down to the shore. I lived in New Jersey. And by the time I had gotten there, my grandmother had passed away and she was 60 years old. She was obese uh, and died from complications with, uh, she had heart failure. Um, and on her autopsy report, they said she was in respiratory distress and she was just severely obese is what they said. And I just watched as that ripped apart my family just because she was like a core, she was the rock of my entire family and everyone always leaned on her. We would always go to grandma's house for meals and get togethers and holidays and now that she was gone, it was, it was just a big struggle. And that put a lot of weight on my shoulders and it didn't, it didn't sit well. And so I knew I wanted to go into something health related. And originally I started out going to school and I, I thought I was going to become a physical therapist. And that quickly switched when I got introduced to Dr. Jacob Wilson, 
uh, who really introduced me to research. And we started doing research uh, when I was at the University of Tampa for like exercise variables. And we, so we did a baseball study. And the first study we did on nutrition was had nothing to do with keto. Uh, we were just looking at different protein sources. And I just fell in love with it. And it wasn't until we met uh, a guy named Dr. Jeff Bolick, uh, who was doing a lot of endurance-based research. And that, what year was that about? That was 2009. Okay. So about, yeah, about 10 years ago. Um, he, we started, he was doing endurance research on a ketogenic diet, and I had heard about it before because people in my family were always dieting. They were trying everything. They, everyone had done the Atkins, and they hadn't been successful on it. And I was like, oh, like, I've heard of that. But he, for doing it for endurance performance blew my mind, and I was like, huh, I wonder if you can gain muscle on this thing because I was always fascinated with gaining muscle. And we did a study in 2010 um, where we looked at a ketogenic diet and muscle mass, and that kind of just led to a whole rabbit hole that we're down now where we're looking at everything in between. And it really stemmed from, I wanted to find alternative ways to help my family, right? I knew that exercise was great and I'm a huge advocate of exercise, but as much as I tried to get everyone to exercise, not everyone's going to do it. But at the end of the day, everyone has to eat something. They have to put some type of fuel in their body. And I was, I just became obsessed with studying it and learning about the quality of food and nutrients we put inside of our body and the impact that has. And that's what's led us here today. Totally. I love that. And I think so many of us in this field have some sort of personal or, or familial connection to why we do this work. And that makes us do it so much better. Um, right. But um, let's fast forward to present day um, and talk a little bit about like what areas you're currently studying with ketogenic therapy. And you mentioned Jeff Wilson and um, Dr. Volick, and um, I've heard some podcasts uh, mention of Doc, uh, Dominic Diagostino and, and cancer research and things of that nature. Uh, but what rabbit holes are you down right now? Yeah, so a lot of times people think because we have a we have a facility that works with a lot of high level athletes called ASPI, and a lot of people just think, hey, we study muscle. But really, right now, the rabbit hole we're down is neurodegenerative diseases. Uh, I am fascinated by the brain and the benefits of ketosis for the brain. So we have some we have some like minor studies going on with Alzheimer's, but really we have a, a, a large interest in Parkinson's and traumatic brain injury. Um, and I guess that kind of ties in the athletic piece with the brain piece with traumatic brain injury, but really looking at just ketogenic therapies as a whole, um, meaning ketogenic diet and supplemental ketosis as uh, therapies or therapeutic options for people who are suffering from a lack of fuel in their brain um, when that comes to Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, traumatic brain injury, and what impact ketosis can have for them. And of these studies, uh, which kind of looking back on the last decade or so that you've been involved in research, what are like two or three, let's say, like highlights where the outcomes or conclusions surprised you? You know, you maybe had some intent, you know, I guess, hypothesis, of course, and thought about what you would see, but you were blown away by the outcomes or they surprised you. Yeah, if I had to say my top three, the first one would be um, looking at a ketogenic diet and muscle mass. No one thought that without carbohydrates, 
you could not, you could gain muscle mass. And we found that on a well-formulated ketogenic diet, you could gain just as much muscle as you can on a carbohydrate uh, based diet, even when protein is matched for. They both ate the same wow. amount of protein and both groups gained the same amount of muscle, but the ketogenic dieting group lost more fat mass. Sure. So it was better for body composition. That was really the eye opener for us. And then two more recent ones is we published a case study uh, looking at Crohn's disease. And that was a personal one for me because my mom has Crohn's. Um, and it was a case study where we basically looked at uh, just a lower carbohydrate diet. It wasn't necessarily ketogenic, but then we supplemented them with exogenous ketones as well, um, just because we know ketones are anti-inflammatory. And we basically found that their CRP levels, which is C-reactive protein, a marker of inflammation, in, in an average individual, the normal range you can say is from like, say, zero to five. Uh, starting out, this person was at a 49. Um, tons of inflammation, just running rampant throughout our entire body because of Crohn's. Uh, after three months of the intervention, she was down below four, um, which was really amazing. Her body composition changed and everything. So that was a really cool and rewarding case study. And then the, one, the ones we're working on now with Parkinson's and traumatic brain injury, we kind of have a, a group that works together. Um, just the results we're seeing on their neurological benefits of being in a state of ketosis where we can track like eye movement, we can track reaction time, we can track some of these, these markers and seeing how quickly these people light up. And it's, it's like, there's, there's no other way to say it than it's like seeing someone's light switch in their brain turn on when yeah. it's been off for so long. And you're, it, that's like the most rewarding thing is seeing like they're, it's like them coming back to life. It's, it's yeah. their, their light switch is on and it's just amazing to watch that happen in front of your eyes. That's incredible. On, on the Crohn's and inflammatory bowel disease, do you find or do you feel that beyond the anti-inflammatory effect of BHB that the butyrate influences the large intestine? For sure. I, I, that's a fascinating area because obviously we know butyrate's a, a great fuel and food for our microbiome and BHB, which is beta hydroxybutyrate, the ketone body, technically gets broken down into butyrate, which likely that's is having it. an effect on that, yeah, on that, on that gut microbiome. Yeah. Yeah. I know I've, I've always kind of hypothesized that, but I didn't know if then, I mean, I know the microbiome produces butyrate. And usually when I see low levels of butyrate, there's low lactobacillus and bifido strains. And so we kind of work in that scenario. Um, and I've seen ketosis on a case study level. Yes. Lower inflammation with inflammatory bowel. And I wasn't sure if then the butyrate itself would also perpetuate feeding the microbiome. And I wasn't sure if that was a direct feedback or that it's just that the butyrate is anti-inflammatory and protects the epithelial tissue, you know? So there's that too. I just, it's, it's so fascinating for sure. For sure. Yep. We could nerd out on that. Um, <laughs> so how about in, in worlds of research and funding? Um, Cause that's always fun. Where do you feel, and maybe just for people, I get very frustrated of course with diet research. So Becky and I being dietitians, as you know, there's so many epidemiological studies or observational studies. And often we see 
a poll of multiple studies, even some dating back to the 70s, to find a trend. And this is where we can see things to be quite polarizing. You know, meat's bad, meat's good. Mm-hmm. What are some of the, let's talk just in research in general, and then we'll go into funding. But how about just in research for people that are listening? What are some of the biggest roadblocks when we're talking about like interventions and diet therapies and we're trying to collect data? Great question. Um, I've actually never been asked before, but this is a really, really good question because people don't understand how research works. Um, but one of the, but, but beyond the funding piece, one of the biggest things uh, that most studies do not do a great job of is control. Because and like it's very difficult to control human beings, and not to sound like that. That's like in like in a mean way, but it's it's difficult to make sure adherence is high. Because in animals, like that's why people often write off animal studies. Some to some degree, yes, but to some degree, no. They're the most well controlled. Like they eat exactly what they eat. They move mm-hmm. when you tell them to move. Like in humans, there's so many variables that are at play. Like you don't know if that's that subject didn't get good enough sleep. You don't know if they're actually adhering to the diet. So like most studies, to give you an example, that do a diet intervention, what they do is they they recruit college age students. Um, and they bring them all in. They say, Hey, here's your diet plan for the next eight weeks. We'll see you in eight weeks. Now, I don't know if you guys remember like being back in college or have kids that are in college, like the chances of them adhering to that very rigorously, uh, and strictly is probably pretty low. Like they're going to the cafe and like, especially if you're trying to do like a ketogenic dieting study, like they're going to a cafe and they're like, well, what do I get? You know what? There's a piece of cake over there. Is it really going to hurt me that bad? And like, you don't know what, you don't know what they're doing. And so like one of the things that we try and do a, a really good job of because it's, it's needed is monitoring adherence and strict control. Like we, anytime we do a diet study, we have at least two dietitians that are involved in that study that are in constant communication with the subject and making sure they're tracking their food daily. And granted, they can make up, they could put in uh, their, their food tracker, something that they didn't eat, but like, it's the best you can get, but most studies do not even go there. They just hand them a diet, they go, hey, we'll see you in eight weeks, let's, let's see what the results, are, results were, and that's it, and that's scary. Totally. I remember participating in those studies in college and they pay you like five or maybe even like $10 when you complete the survey, but it's literally just a a survey. And, you know, even like talking about dietary recall and things like that, that gets even more convoluted because we'll be asking someone, you know, in the past year, how many times did you consume alcohol, red meat, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, there's just no way, like, I don't remember always what I ate yesterday. Exactly. And then there was exactly. The halo right. effect. <laughs> totally. Yep. <laughs> exactly. And the, the the recall studies, like you mentioned, like that's where Ali, like you said, like most of those correlational studies that make headlines, right? Red meat causes cancer, or meat is terrible for you, or meat is great for you. Those are the headlines that you see. A lot of those headlines that you see on TV are headlines based on correlational data that are predicated on a survey, literally sending out a survey and saying, what ailments do you have or what condition do you have? And then how many times per week, for instance, do you eat meat? And they look at that and they go, wow, this is interesting. The people who tend to have meat more than three times per week 
tend to have higher rates of heart disease. Now, does that mean that eating the meat caused the heart disease? No, it means that it, that person who's eating meat, you don't know what they're eating. You don't know if they're having the brand new double Big Mac that's now being offered at McDonald's with a large Coke and uh, a French fry. You don't know if that's the majority of their diet and they're, they're, they're saying, hey, I have meat, but what is the quality of that? What are the other constituents that you're eating along with that you like? You can't get that out of correlational data. And unfortunately, those are those tend to be the studies that make the headlines. Absolutely. And then right, then there's the I was mentioning halo effect. And what I mean by that for listeners is like the people who are eating the grass-fed ribeye <laughs> or whatnot may still be in, I hope we're awakening more and more that the, the beneficial properties of protein, and we'll, we'll unpack that in a moment, Ryan, but um, those are the ones that might downplay their meat consumption, you know, in their yeah. surveys. So it's just so interesting because they're trying to answer and be like, am I doing this right? Instead of just having that object, objective data. So it's a, yeah. <laughs> It is. Yep. Have you done any studies with a continuous glucose monitor, you know, with participants that you can really kind of get some objective data beyond what they provide? And you could see like, obviously if they spike above 180 in their glucose levels, they didn't have, you know, they ate pizza <laughs> or something yeah. like that. That would be amazing. Um, unfortunately, CGMs are super expensive um, to, to use, but in, in any ketogenic dieting research we do, we do blood tests uh, every day or minimum every other day to monitor it. And so it's difficult for someone to be like, oh, I'm adhering to it. And all of a sudden, if they're not registering ketones for several, for several time points, you're like, uh, well, we need to really make sure you're uh, adhering to the diet. So we constantly are, are monitoring and measuring that. And so we're making sure people are like 0.5 millimoles or above and things like that. Whereas most studies, they're just like, oh, I trust you were there. And they look 12 weeks later and you don't know if they were in ketosis for one week or 12 weeks. Sure. Let's talk a little bit um, around like the funding piece of the puzzle as well, because I think that can get very, very interesting as we know, and, and many studies that come out, like the bigger ones are uh, end up being funded, especially in the nutrition realm by, you know, big ag and um, General Mills and companies like that. Um, what roadblocks have you run into in terms of funding and, and um, what's your takeaway there? Yeah, there's a lot. Um, so one, as much as it, it's, everyone's like, well, why don't you do a study on this? Why don't you do a study on this? They're expensive to do. Um, so there are a lot of costs that are associated with it. And so sometimes you have to study things that like people will come to you and say, hey, can you study this? And a lot of times in academia, it's one of the reasons why uh, we got out of it. It's like you're forced to like, professors have a requirement to be like, Hey, you need to bring in so much money or else you're not getting tenure. Um, it's like, it's a yeah. very rigorous process, but like you end up doing studies that you don't even want to do that are funded by agencies that probably have an agenda at the end of the day. And so that's one of the reasons why we stepped out and created our own facility to be like, Hey, we're doing things on our own terms and we're very upfront with companies. And I say, listen, I don't like before we even go into this, if the results come out and they're not good, we're going to publish it. If they come out and they're good, we're going to publish it. Like, it's not like a, Hey, what often happens is companies will do studies and they'll create agreements where it's like, Hey, uh, if this doesn't come out the way we want it to, uh, 
we'll just we'll just take the data and you don't have to publish it. And I'm like, well, that that's not good because then no one else can do anything with that, and people don't know that your product didn't work or that intervention didn't work. Uh, so it it is a very tricky tricky area, and it's it's a challenge because there's very very limited funding. Totally, and that can skew the data that's out there and available to the general public in such a way that it's like totally ridiculous. Well, and you would think a company with integrity is able to, sure. within the conclusions, note limitations. Like if you didn't get yeah. the outcomes you desired, that that's something that that's what you, why you have the opportunity for an explanation. <laughs> so right. that's exactly. fair. <laughs> exactly right. So I kind of want to transition to some, we usually do rapid fire at the end of an episode, but we're going to transition out from like nerdy keto stuff into mindfulness and positivity uh, after we take a break from our sponsor. But I want to do a rapid fire and I'm going to throw like five or six keto topics at you, Ryan, <laughs> be ready. Yeah, and what I'm thinking is I haven't done this before. So usually it's like, you know, on desert Island, what food do you need? Yep. Um, <laughs> so I want to kind of take advantage of the fact that you're here, you're brilliant. And so I'm just going to throw some things at you and I would love to hear like pros and cons, maybe like a minute or two on each of them. And then we'll, we'll rip through the five. Um, you ready? Ready. Okay. So, um, let's start with carnivore. Ooh, I actually just got off a podcast discussing this. Um, I think pros are meat is a very anti-inflammatory food um, if done right. I think pros, you need to understand that you need to eat nose to tail. I don't think going to a fast food joint and getting uh, a burger or, or six burgers without the bun and eating that as a meal is, is sustainable or provides quality nutrition for anyone. Uh, cons, it's definitely difficult to adhere to. You need to make sure you're getting in the nose to tail in order to get the proper nutrients. Uh, and two, a lot of people struggle with the volume until they're adapted to it. I'm one of those people. I've done carnivore. And for me, I'm a big fan of like uh, big volume salads. Like I tend to over, I, I grew up trying to put on a ton of weight and tended to eat a lot, a lot of food. Um, that that's still inside of me. So I eat large salads with meat in them. When you're eating meat that's very dense and, and has fat on it, it's it tends to be a lot easier to overeat until you're adapted. Sure. Okay. Uh, carb cycling. Sorry, what was that one? Carb cycling. Oh, um, in context, uh, yes, I definitely more so for females than than males. Um, but it depends on the type of carbohydrates. Uh, when they're being consumed. I'm not a fan of eating keto Monday through Friday and just carving out on the weekend with whatever you want to have. But I do think good quality carbohydrates strategically incorporated into your diet to keep you metabolically flexible is a great idea. And ideally getting those, those carbohydrates from whole foods, not junk candy or things that you're just trying to have that you know aren't good for you. I love it. I feel like we're on the same page so far. Um, <laughs> very good. Um, what about OMAD or for listeners who aren't familiar, um, eating one meal per day? Yeah, I think it's a great tool. It's uh, There's benefits in that it condenses your eating window. So likely it's allowing you to be in a lower calorie caloric deficit. Uh, it's not something I would recommend doing every day because you're likely in a calorie deficit. I'm a big fan of 
calorie cycling as well. And one of the ways that I find it easier to calorie cycle is by switching up uh, meal frequency. So I rarely, maybe ra rarely will do three meals a day. Um, but I typically do about two meals and then some days I'll do one meal a day and then some days I'll do a 24 hour fast. But I think it's, I think it's a great tool. It's not something I would recommend someone do every single day for an entire year because your metabolism and your body will adapt to that. Okay. Vegetables. Personally, I'm a big fan of vegetables. Uh, I know carnivores will likely get upset about it and fruits like avocados is technically a fruit. Um, I love avocados. I'm wearing an avocado shirt right now, yes. but, um, <laughs> but I think they're great. Um, in, in, especially in the context, like I was saying, they add volume, they add fiber to my diet when like I tend to overeat, uh, fairly easily. Obviously on a ketogenic diet, that's changed significantly. Right. But I tend to overeat, uh, significantly because I was forcing calories in an early age. And so vegetables, uh, allows me to get more volume inside of my meal than just eating a piece of meat. Exogenous ketones. <laughs> Uh, I'm a fan of them 100% as a tool. Um, I think a lot of times exogenous ketones got uh, marketed as, hey, consume these and you're instantly going to lose weight. Yeah, uh, <laughs> on top of your Big Mac. <laughs> yeah, just eat your Big Mac, drink these, and you're magically going to lose weight. Um, that's not what they're intended to do, nor would they work that way. Uh, it's, I, I love, we're utilizing them in research for a lot of those neurological conditions when people will not or it's difficult to have someone who's like, hey, you're a 60, 70-year-old individual and you're, they're not going to change their eating habits. They're getting introduced to a state of ketosis through supplementation and their brain is soaking it up and you're seeing that light switch turn on. It can be an incredible tool. Uh, it's not a replacement for a ketogenic diet. Totally. Uh, intermittent and extended fasting. I know you kind of hit it on OMAD, but um, so is that kind of, well, I'll let you still, it's in case there's anything else on there. Maybe like, let's talk extended fasting, like 36 hours. Yeah. I think like once a week, I tend to do a 24 hour fast, um, but consistently, and I get very, very nervous, especially with females again, that do like these long extended fasts repeatedly um, just for their hormone levels and for their metabolism. But I think occasionally like doing a 24 hour fast isn't that big of an issue, but like extended fasting, unless you are significantly overweight and obese, uh, probably isn't something I'd recommend to do con on a consistent basis all the time. Awesome. Yeah. Always about that set point and kind of recognizing where your foundation is and, and why you're doing the behavior in the first place. <laughs> Last two rapid fire. Uh, most exciting thing within the ketogenic movement. Recently or just in general? Uh, let's say recently, like where it's going. 2020 kind of scope. 2020. I think we're start twofold. I think we're starting to see a lot more practitioners. Um, yeah. A buy into it and understand the benefits of like, wow, this, this isn't just a fad. Uh, I love seeing that. It, I just spoke in Chile and in Rome and like the majority of the audience there was practitioners. And I love that because they're adopting it more. Uh, and then two is more uh, ketogenic friendly options. You're starting to see it's a pro and a con, I would say. Uh, it, it, it's, 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 Things, but it's also good in that 
there's companies that are coming out that are really just trying to market and create products based on keto being extremely popular and not doing the right thing. But at the same token, there are companies that are coming out that are creating products that are meant to support, not replace like a whole, whole foods based approach, but just there in case you're in a bind uh, and you need something that are really putting in effort into R&D to create good quality products that can help people. And the more those are accessible, the more likely people are to adhere to this long term. Yeah. And I think, I mean, my thought is that you always vote with your dollar, right? And I think mm -hmm. it's cool that, you know, the movement is pushing the money. Now it's just up to the consumer to select which products they purchase and buy into, and that'll further narrow out the movement, you know, and that's a good thing, I think, in, in general. So exactly, I right. totally agree. Um, okay. And then last uh, rapid fire is uh, biggest frustrations or roadblocks of the movement of the ketogenic diet. It would probably be the com that combination of products coming out and people have no idea that they're not metabolically sound and like things with maltitol in them or things that have coconut sugar in them and people like and are claiming to be keto um, or things that are using fibers that are not legitimately fibers and claiming to be keto. Uh, that's, that's a big frustration. Um, and th people utilizing these and being like, why don't, why aren't I seeing results? Uh, and then the other one that I did a big video on and it's still getting tons of views is like, I'm sure you guys have seen it is like these keto shark tank pills. Um, like these people are claiming that there's that, that they were on shark tank, which they never were. And it's, they claim that it's sometimes it's, ex it's exogenous ketones in a pill. Sometimes it's just some Garcinia Cambogia in, inside of a pill. And they're claiming that it's this keto weight loss pill. And like, like I've gotten messages from thousands of people who are getting hit with ads and ads and ads wow. and they're literally getting scammed out of money and it's like a hundred dollars a month reoccurring and it, they're literally nothing. They're not getting anything. And it's, that's a, it's that part about it is makes me want to educate louder and just be a bigger voice because it's scary that people are really making a commitment and they want to change their body composition and they think that's the answer and they don't know what they don't know. And then they get hit with that and it's really not doing anything other than hurting their wallets. Oh, and if yeah. it's that low of an integrity of a company, what are they actually making and what are people exactly, putting in their body? Exactly. Cool. Exactly. It's scary. Okay. Well, let's get to a company that does have high integrity and uh, our mid-roll sponsor for today, which is Further Food. So Further Food products are the highest quality food as medicine supplements providing gelatin and collagen, which are some of our favorite proteins, especially as we're connecting this snout to tail philosophy. Their source is grass-fed, pasture-raised, and wild-caught, non-GMO, hormone-free, antibiotic-free, and delicious. It's actually one of the only odorless collagens on the market, in my opinion, and one that doesn't have a taste, one that you can actually just mix with water. But I tend to put in my morning matcha or fat-fueled coffee. Yes, and we absolutely love their gelatin, especially now that we're getting into cooler weather and holiday season. It can be utilized in a vast array of recipes from making a coconut milk gelatin to the matcha gelatin pudding from the anti-anxiety diet um, and also goes well in hot beverages as long as you don't forget about them and let them cool to room temperature and solidify. Yeah. It's freaking awesome. Um, and we also absolutely love their turmeric tonic, which combines 
quality adaptogens as well as anti-inflammatory turmeric and some really nice warming spices that you can make a little turmeric golden milk latte on the go, as well as their mindful matcha, which combines greens. So it's got some wheatgrass in there and ginger to give it a little flavor boost. Absolutely love those products for convenience factor for sure. Yes. And also another recipe in the anti-anxiety diet is the collagen hot cocoa. And I feel like we're finally getting into that season. (laughs) So another one (laughs) to whip out that collagen for. And um, as we've done an episode before, I think it was episode 142, it was an entire hour on the benefits of collagen. And from vascular integrity to connective tissue support on hair, skin, and nails to aiding with the gut. There have been double-blind placebo studies on the concept of research (laughs) that have shown that collagen can be extremely therapeutic. So go on over to furtherfood.com and put in the code AllieMillerRD at discount, uh, at checkout, excuse me, and you will get a 10% off discount. It's furtherfood.com. Use AllieMillerRD. Okay. So Ryan, I, I know Becky, it's your turn to ask a question, but I got to ask. No, this. you got to ask this like, one because you wrote it. I know, and it's a long one. He's trying to speak my voice. <laughs> Can't do it. <laughs> but no, I was going to say, um, I, I want to kind of transition, Ryan, into a little bit of, we had a really awesome Instagram live together um, after I did a podcast uh, with you and talking about both my movement with the anti-anxiety diet and the kind of Venn diagram overlap of your make positivity louder movement. And I just kind of want to share with listeners, when I first started following you and learning about your accomplishments, I was shocked at how chill and down to earth and warm you are, you know, at that keto VIP thing at the keto con when we were both speakers. And I think that this is really what makes in, in my personal experience the keto versus paleo community stronger. You know, there's a lot of bro vibes in both (laughs) camps, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, but I find that the men in the keto community, like Danny Vega, Robert Sykes, Josh Perry, Brian Williamson, um, and including yourself, of course, really have this awesome, true definition of masculinity without ego, like without having to front, without having to be chauvinistic. Um, And so I really think that you guys consciously promote kindness and gratitude and a good balance of masculinity with still being open-minded and and receptive. Um, I'd love to hear about kind of what, if you've experienced that as well, I don't know if as a man, you you see that dynamic in the two communities. Um, I'd love to hear that. And then let's talk about, you know, making positivity louder and where you kind of came up with that phrase and and why this is a passion of yours. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And I appreciate that tremendously. I just, I have amazing parents to thank for how they, they raised me. And it was just, it was just an incredible perspective. Like I, I, I think it all comes down to perspective, right? And I think everyone in the keto community, like you mentioned, the, those guys, uh, and there's tons of other people who are just great people. Um, and I think that's what it comes down to is just being a, like a, a genuine good human being and understanding that no matter what your diet preference is, no matter if you exercise, no matter the color of your skin, your gen, it doesn't matter in the fact that like we're, it's, we're, it's important to be good human beings and be nice to people because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how strict you are on, on your diet. But like, if you don't have happiness inside your soul, like you're really not going to be able to, to truly 
transform or come closer to your optimum human potential. Like, uh, and that's one of the things that I talk about a lot is just starting your day with like how important gratitude is. Like I'm grateful to be on this podcast right now and people lose that. Like people lose that sense of gratitude and I think it plays an impact on other areas of their life in the sense that like they get frustrated at the little things, right? Someone cut them off in, in traffic and then all of a sudden they go home to their family and they have a terrible day. They have a terrible um, time with their family and they're, they're mad at dinner and they're having troubles with their spouse and their significant other all because someone cut them off rather than look at the gratitude of the day and be like, you know what? Like I was at my job. There are people out in the world who don't have a job or, oh, wow, I was driving in my car. And you know what? A large, like a, a good amount of people do not have cars. Like understanding those things and if you lead with gratitude you can you're always living in a state where like you can always be fulfilled by what you what some people would call the little things because for me like being on this podcast some people be like oh that's a little thing i'm super grateful for it um spending time with my dog like i'm super present every time i'm with him because i'm super grateful for every minute i get to spend with him because i know one day there won't be that minute and people just lose that perspective. And I think that can apply to everyday life. It can, can apply to the ketogenic community. It can apply to how you handle yourself on social media. And it's just one of the ways I just have chosen to, to lead my life in a state of gratitude and perspective. I love that. And I think that's so true that you can allow the negative to kind of snowball and like color the rest of your day, or you can have this gratitude practice to fall back on. And Ali talks about this a lot of like creating it, you know, kind of like you would work a muscle, having that to fall back on so that when things do get tough, you don't tailspin into the negative and, and you've kind of worked that muscle. So how do you recommend um, incorporating this for listeners into daily life? And, and what exactly is, what are you talking about with the Make Positivity Louder movement? So are you having people share gratitude or um, what are you having your followers do? Yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing that's the easiest way to get started on it is I'm a big fan of like gratitude journals and you could just do this just with a piece of paper, honestly, is every morning, one of the first things I do when I wake up, you could do it on your phone. Um, even though I wouldn't recommend looking at your phone first, <laughs> but, um, you could do this on, I would write it down because there's, there's actual evidence that like writing it down and seeing it and feeling it like that will reinforce it even more. But writing down three things that you're grateful for. And it, it, it becomes a challenge around day 10. You're like, well, there, it's, it's difficult. Like I already said, I'm grateful for my house or my apartment, but it really forces you to start thinking about different things. And like some of the things I wrote this morning, like I'm grateful for running water. Like people don't think about that. Like I'm grateful for the fact that I have running water and there's people out in the world that don't like, I'm grateful for the fact that I had um, a pair of pants to put on today, like a nice pair of jeans that someone else doesn't have. I was grateful this morning that I woke up and Scoot was breathing and snoring in my face. Like that, the, like those small things, when, when my day gets rough or I get stressed out or that person cuts me off, I can always reflect back and think, you know what? Like I'm grateful for those things. Like there's nothing that can phase me throughout my day that's going to cause me like, sure, I might get temporary stress, but the minute I kind of reframe and, and gain perspective and go back to the fact that like, 
wow, like I'm wearing a pair of jeans that like some kid would love and would do anything for this pair of jeans, yet most people just often overlook that. Um, you, 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 can't, you can't live in a state of anything other than gratitude and, and happiness and fulfillment when you're living in that state because you're just grateful for everything. And so I, I talk a lot about making positivity louder because I think it drives people to shift their perspective. Because if you look at today's news media, even on social media, unfortunately, it's like this with people bickering and just full of hate, but like people focus on the negative, right? Turn on any news outlet, any media outlet, it's filled with politics or this per this killing in this area. And it's just like that negativity just starts to consume you and it consumes your day. And whether you it consciously or subconsciously is consuming you, it's having an impact. And so I just think there's so many amazing people. There's so many amazing things that go on that don't get brought to light. So I just encourage people like, Hey, like there's a lot of positive that's going out in the world. Like, why don't we make that louder? Like, why don't I post a lot about like good news articles, like good news stories. Like, why don't we highlight those? Like the, the firefighter who saved some kid that didn't really get recognition or the person who uh, helped some kids see for the first time and get a new pair of glasses. Like those things, when you start focusing on that, your, your world, your life becomes a lot more positive. And I like to highlight those things. I love that. And, and I think that the presence within the gratitude is important too. Like, I mean, I don't know, do you set guidelines of how often you can use a repeat? <laughs> like, you know, yeah. do you find yourself, so if, if Scoot's involved, um, I love that, like you said, the like snoring and that, cause I was thinking of my husband, I was like, oh, maybe that's not my <laughs> <snap." laughs> You know, it's like the thing that in the middle of the night, I'm like, shut up, I'm gonna get you yep. mouth tape. But, <laughs> but maybe I could switch my perspective and be like you loving person, I'm so happy you're next to me. And, and that's good. Um, you know, are there any guidelines you suggest as far as repeats, like, or to get a deeper level of, of making it kind of tangible or, or per personalized? Yeah, it definitely has to be, uh, make it as specific as possible. Cause like you said, like I use Scoot often, but it's in various different aspects of things that would otherwise bother me. Like, like the other, the other night he ran into my room after we went out for a nightly walk and it had just rained here. And so he of course ran through the puddle and then immediately runs up on my bed. And now there's like mud, there's like little like cute mud uh, tracks from his paw prints all over my bed. And like, I was like, you know what, this is, this is going to be a gratitude for tomorrow morning in the sense that like, I'm grateful for the fact that like we, he was able to go on a walk. Like he only has three legs. Um, and he's a, he's a tripod, but like the fact that we were able to go out on a walk in the rain, um, I w I love that. And I was grateful for it because, um, he could only have one leg and might not be able to go out on a walk. So like, I like making it specific and trying my best not to repeat at least for a year, like at least for a year. Cause there's, there's a million things. If you really, really spend your time and think about it from having electricity or things that happen in your everyday life, like spending time, spending, I'm grateful that I was able to go to lunch today with my team. Like that's not something that happens every day, but I'm going to be grateful for that tomorrow morning, you know, things like that. I love it. And it really resonates like that level of presence because I think about, I went to a Catholic grade school and high school and I think of, you know, the power of prayer, intention, thought, purpose, but when you're not present, like I can't, t I could tell you probably off the top of my head still what my prayer was before bed 
for like 15 years nonstop. And it was just literally <laughs> a like, blah, 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 grandpa, grandma, blah, blah, blah. And it was like to get through it as quickly as possible, say the words. And so I think anything can be like that. You know, and it's all about that purposeful intention and, and taking the time to really feel it. Because that's when you get to the downstairs of the brain, that subconscious of, of the thought patterns that you want to push the reset button on so that you get that passive release instead of anger, aggression, and, and negativity when the universe throws, throws you a curveball. Absolutely. And that's, I literally have a tattoo on my arm of it because I'm so focused on it. And it was something I was so bad at. Very similar is that like presence, like I have a tattoo that says be here now. And it's a constant reminder. It's right next to a tattoo I have of Scoot's face. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a constant reminder that like we get so wrapped up in either past or future thinking that we very rarely are present in the moment. And I think that's what probably causes the most stress in people's lives is that like, think about all the times people live in a state of regret or they're always like, what if I would have just, and a lot of times that's because they were never fully present. Like, I wish I had 10 more minutes with my grandma. Well, every day that I'm with someone that I care about and I love, like, I'm fully present. Like I, I talked about this a lot, but I have a routine and I, I hope that one day when I have kids, I still incorporate in this routine, but like I have a very strict routine and, and in the four years that uh, I've been in my house and the year that I've had Scoot, I've, I've kept this, is that I will not walk inside of my house or my door distracted. Because the minute I got Scoot, I know the minute I walk in that door, his tail is going to be going a mile a minute. He's super excited. And if I'm not present the minute I walk in that door, it's going to leave an, an impression on him. Like, I don't know. He might go, I don't care. Or uh, he doesn't care about me. Why is he so focused on everything else? So like I've literally have taken phone calls inside of my car in my garage for an hour because I will not go inside because I know if I go in distracted on a phone call, he, I'm not giving him presents. I'm not spending time with him. And so I think that's just one tactic, but just in general, everyday life, when you're with people you love, like put the phone down, like stop scrolling through Instagram or you're at dinner with loved ones. How often we've all been guilty of it. Like, are you just scrolling through You're you're texting other people and you're not really focusing on the conversation? Like just spend an hour and be present and be with them. And you'll start to see how that radically changes your relationship. I love that. And I totally feel like dogs are really, really good at like checking their owners <laughs> on that. Like mine will do the same thing. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm here. Or, I, you know, <laughs> I'm in a room with him and he starts whining for no good reason. I'm like, okay, yeah, I was totally ignoring you and forgetting <laughs> that you were here and forgetting to be grateful for your sweet little face. Um, I was going to ask about your favorite quote or mantra, but it sounds like be here now might be it. Yeah. Um, or do you have a, a different quote mantra saying? I would say it's the company. I would say it's a combination of be here now and make positivity louder. Those are two mantras that like I live by and I, I plan on living by that for the rest of my life. And I hope one day when my time has come, like those two that people remember me by those two things of like, wow, that guy was really present when I was with him and he always tried to make positivity louder and, and make those around him see that same perspective and in part make their lives better too. Awesome. Love it so much. Okay. So we're coming to an end, but I want to ask for listeners, for someone struggling with 
let's say going keto or, or maybe just struggling, like hitting a rough patch um, in their life and needing support, um, like what would be one or two things for them to focus on to rise up? So we hit gratitude, obviously we hit presence. Um, I don't know if there's anything particular, like a diet strategy shift you'd recommend or any other lifestyle elements to, to help them rise up if they're in a struggle. I'd say one of some of the biggest ones I've seen that have helped people is one community. Like I think just being around the community, getting deeper ingrained, like following people like yourselves and, and really like, Hey, like looking for some of these recipes, looking for new resources and books that are coming out. That's one. And I also love creating an accountability partner. Um, that's something even myself I struggle with. Like, I'll fully transparent. I, I like I've spoken in a lot of uh, Spanish speaking countries this year. And like I told them all the time, I'm like, you know, what? I'm going to learn Spanish. I'm going to learn Spanish. I'm going to learn Spanish. And like I've downloaded all the apps. But like for me, even I never like held myself accountable for it. So what am I doing? Starting in January, I've literally I've already done it. I've hired a tutor that's going to come to my house twice a week to come teach me Spanish because that's the only way I'm going to be able to be accountable. So I think finding someone, finding a, a coach, finding a, a doctor to work with, a specialist to keep you accountable, or just finding a friend to go along and say, hey, uh, I'm embarking on this journey or, or a loved one that's there to support you. Can you help me? Can you help keep me accountable? I'm in this, like, I want to do this together. Uh, I think those are things that can radically help people shift and, and start to see results when even they're plateauing or really stuck and have nowhere to turn. I love that. And Ryan, I speak Spanish. So at next KetoCon, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hit me up. Let's, I'll let's be practice. <laughs> oh, that's an accountability measure. So, yep. you know, you totally have, is. What, six months <laughs> from January and, and <laughs> has a, a degree in it. So she, <laughs> oh, well, it's not, it's not utilized nearly as much as it should until we travel to Mexico or something. But, um, <laughs> this has been such a fun conversation. I think our listeners are going to get a lot of really good practical tools, especially with the gratitude list piece of the puzzle. Um, give listeners an idea of what you're working on right now and where they can go to find more about you. And let's tell them about this keto mastery class that you have coming out. Yeah. So, I mean, there's just a lot. Uh, we always have a ton of stuff going on research wise, but really on ketogenic.com, one of the things that we try to do is take a lot of hardcore challenging scientific topics and break them down so they're digestible and so we've been working for the last year actually it's been a long time creating a course um, that will have ceus behind it and literally be from for everyone from the beginner all the way to like your advanced physician because i think that's important for them to know as well taking them through the history all the way to practical applications for ketogenic diets from Alzheimer's, body composition, even cancer, talking on how you should utilize exogenous ketones versus how you shouldn't utilize exogenous ketones and practical things like practical takeaways of like how to eat out, like how to cook at home. So that's, that's Keto Mastery and that'll, that's going to launch early 2020, um, which we're really excited about. It's been a long time coming and a lot of videos. Uh, it's going to be over like 75 hours of video footage um, inside of that. But that that's a big, big project we've been working on. And uh, yeah, so that's been, that's been fun. Awesome. And then um, we will 
probably be doing a giveaway for listeners with your book too. So do you want to talk to listeners about the book in case they don't have a copy of the ketogenic Bible? Oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So basically we, um, we, we wanted to provide a resource to support a lot of the, the other books and resources that are out there. Really, it's not a traditional book that one would, one would read from front to back, even though a lot of people have, but it's literally one of those books that you hopefully are constantly going back to because we took everything from like, how did we get here? Like the history of the ketogenic diet, the history of fasting, how we got into the whole low fat paradigm to some of the latest research in neurological diseases, in heart disease, like everything touching on those aspects, uh, all the way to what's some of the new and emerging research, what's going on and how can you apply this for yourself. So if you have someone in your family with Alzheimer's, there's an entire Alzheimer's section. If you have someone in your family with cancer, dive into the cancer section. So uh, just things like, like that's really what we set out to do in the ketogenic Bible and really just trying to help educate people the best way possible. Awesome. And when this episode airs, you guys, when you're over at ketogenic.com, you still have like six or seven days to put in your vote for Naturally Nourished as the top keto podcast because we are <laughs> yes. one of the nominees of the top five out there. So you guys go do that. Good uh, plug. Okay. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Very well, relevant, you know. <laughs> uh, so Ryan, before we let you go, this is our last question that we ask to everyone. Uh, being dietitians, uh, you know, a classic question, we're doing diet intakes and what have you. So what is your 24-hour recall? So we're speaking to you on a Thursday, if that helps with your <laughs> jogging the memory. Uh, what was yesterday like from rise to, to sleep? Great question. Um, so I fat, I, I do, I almost eat the same thing every day. It really, the only thing that changes is lunch. Um, so yesterday I woke up, got a workout in, fasted, um, just with some water and salt. And I, I had a half of a Cobb salad for lunch. Uh, and then for dinner I had some steak and vegetables, pretty boring. Um, and then I had a low carb, uh, a keto cookie um, that I, it was a homemade recipe um, for like a after dinner little dessert snack thing. And that was it, pretty. Mindful pretty indulgence. <laughs> That's right. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for taking the time to be with us today. We are such big proponents of your vision and excited to see where things go with ketogenic.com. And I think that with good quality research and with educating medical professionals, this is where we can really kind of make the change also, not just from the ground up as the consumers and listeners, but also from the top down. So we're so grateful for you and everything you do for the community. Oh, thank you guys so much. I'm extremely grateful and honored uh, to be on the podcast. So thank you guys so much. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.